creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. You can find me with the sinners, the rebels and the dreamers, those hidden in the darkness, a glimpse of It's Tuesday, September 17th, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios on the ones and twos, our illustrious brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. All the way in Paris, France, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Bonjour, et ça va, everybody. And, and Nashville, Tennessee, author, speaker, podcaster, cowgirl extraordinaire, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Uh, Before we get going, I want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by David Platt's new book, Something Needs to Change. Life's hardest questions don't just demand answers, they require action. David Platt, who's a pastor and best-selling author and founder of Radical Inc., came to this realization as he witnessed urgent spiritual and physical needs during a trek through some of the highest mountains in the world. His new book, Something Needs to Change, describes his journey and invites you to see how God desires to use your life in greater ways than you've ever imagined. You can pick up your copy of Something Needs to Change. It's in bookstores everywhere now. Go do it. You guys, it's one of the top three books I've read in the last year. No kidding. Oh, wow. He's on my podcast this week, so I read the whole... I mean, it is... He's, it's, it's, you have to read it. I'm talking to the y'all and to everyone listening, but to you guys, I think y'all would love it. Wow. Yeah. He wrote a really good original piece for us in the new issue of the mag. And even just reading that, it was super challenging. I it's mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's so a, human in this book. Like you like watch him wrestle in ways that I feel like we haven't been privy to before. And it is, it is absolutely beautiful. I cried on the treadmill. Did he, was it that scene where he was on the mountaintop wrestling with the Sherpa because the Sherpa wouldn't give him his power bar that he was wanting and he was trying to ration it and then he took him out? I, I was moved to tears. Yeah, I was shocked. Wrestling. I was shocked. You are conf- legitimately the worst. I was shocked at the confessions he made. <laughs> homicide. <laughs> on the mountainside. His shocking book. Shocking. Oh, very unexpected from him. I was not, I didn't intend for him to talk with us about them. So honestly, his yeah. I saw his lawyer in the background just like making a weird cutting motion across his neck. But <laughs> I, didn't, didn't, I don't know what that meant. I don't know if that's a weird thing they just do. Is that a pastor no, thing, no. Annie? <laughs> what yeah, I didn't totally. expect. What I didn't expect was that every chapter was really just a story about a, a, a time he wrestled with somebody. Uh, all the different times he had conflict and was found oh, himself my. wrestling. Wrestle yeah, it up. It was, wrestle it up. It was, yeah. That's my wrestle church. it out. Something needs to change. It's in stores now. Hey, uh, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, Malcolm Gladwell joins us. Uh, he's coming on to discuss how uh, a teaching of Jesus actually can help us solve some of the world's most difficult problems. Uh, he is the cover of issue 101 of Relevant, uh, which is hitting mailboxes right now. And we will tell you about the new issue uh, coming up as well. And obviously have a conversation with Malcolm Gladwell. That's going to be a lot of fun. Lots yeah. of lots of good content on today's show. Oh yeah, a lot of good content. Jam packed show. Jam packed. We're gonna wrestle later <laughs> with 
Not, not with just topics and big things, but like literally at the end of the show, Jesse and I are going to wrestle. Yeah, so, it's, it's which no holds via barred. Skype, it's really it's gross. Kind of, it's confusing. I'll, I will, <laughs> Annie and I will be there to narrate it in the style of two professional wrestler commentators. We'll just give you the play by play. We will we will be honest in yep. in our reporting. Yeah, we will not make yeah. anything up. We won't exaggerate it. We're just going to give you a, you know, and it's a winner take all thing. And the winner. We'll host next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a cage match. It's two men enter, one man leave. Yeah. If this yeah. gets edited somehow, y'all can know that whoever hosts this episode yeah. on Friday was the winner. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, how's Paris? You've been over there in a few weeks now. Is yeah, it, are you this acclimating? Is, uh, we're kicking off. Uh, I guess today is two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. Have you gotten used now. to? Have you gotten used to living in the future? You're like mm-hmm. just ahead of us. I can't say too much because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to break the space time continuum. Right. I would advise you all to invest right now in yeah. some flotation devices. That I don't oh. want to say anything more beyond <laughs> that, but you're going to want you're going to want a boat. Well, y'all know I keep a float in my trunk all the time. <laughs> Pearl, the summertime Pegasus float Perfect. is always in my trunk. So what? I'll go blow her up and just be ready. Do you have a pump as well? Because that is a hundred percent. Okay. In the I was yes. say, good. But yes. the name is scenario at all times. Name a scenario where you need an emergency Pegasus float. Name one where you don't. Like I, said, I don't want to say too much. Like I said, I can't. Yeah, at first, Annie, I thought like you had a float in your car in case like you, you, you know, you, you accidentally like drive off a bridge or something and you find yourself <gasps> oh, in the need idea. of some sort of life. Yeah, but you device. can't pump her up that quick. No, no, no. Well, that mm-hmm. but it, it, like, I mean, maybe you could maybe while you're sitting there floating in the river, but it's not a very dignified way to get rescued is. No, 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 no. There was, they true. have no, this no, no. thing. Um this this big event here uh uh at the beach uh it's unofficial and it caused a lot of problems this year because people weren't very well behaved <laughs> it was called flotopia and everyone goes and, and 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 you know it's it's a big party but everyone brings a float well somebody i i don't know i, I don't know if i told the story before somebody no. uh um let's just say got overserved that day yeah and ended up uh, at the flotopia and ended up, you know, dozing off on their float and woke up pretty far out at sea, like yep. like way, way off in the distance, like too far to swim. <laughs> he had to get rescued by the Coast Guard and he was floating on a giant taco, like not a, not a very dignified thing. Like the, like the Coast Guard had to come and save this guy who's stranded on a taco in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. Not a good, uh, great look. Not what would be what would be the most embarrassing flotation device? Maybe to a be big poo emoji. With? I thought about I, that. the poop emoji. I think I don't know. I think the uh, um, Andy on the Office when he floated away in oh, the samurai. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Um, samurai. When he floated away in, I don't remember it. They were doing the sumo wrestling and uh, the big inflatable sumo outfits and uh he rolled away and was floating and just calling for help but he found himself in the weeds across the lake so just there because that really takes all the limbs out of play at that right. point. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuck, I, just don't, I mean, I don't know that there's a level of... Im- I, I don't know that there's a float that I'd be embarrassed to be found with, but I would be embarrassed to be floating out so far I had to be rescued full stop. Sure, like, yeah. I'd be embarrassed to get... Re- I'm embarrassed at the idea of being rescued ever. Yeah. Yeah. It from is, it's, it's humbling. I'd yes, rather die. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Just leave me. Leave me with my dignity intact. I do want to uh, uh, yes. note one other thing about Tyler's new location. It, 
is he had to change his Airbnb because it's true. Oh, you the, did? True. Yeah. Of yeah. Not only were not only was it a very weird layout and stairs clearly up to code and and weird adult themed French literature right? strewn around the house. You know, alter uh, yeah, new, new, new spot. What's going on? Yeah, Huck, I don't he know this. moved into what is definitely a haunted old monastery. Is <laughs> yeah. that from the 1600? Is that not true, Huck? 100 percent haunted. 100 percent. It was an upgrade for sure. But we are uh, the, the, the place <laughs> when that haunted I'm is the in, upgrade. The, yeah. Well, you saw the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I, is that really I why y'all switched? Know, just because no, of the stairs? Well, the stairs were not the were not the only reason. But we are in a new place. This was originally the uh, apparently this building started out as a monastery, right? So haunted, obviously. But that was right, that yeah, was many right. years ago. That was before United States even existed. And then it was a brothel, or a, or as our as as the owner called it a hooker home. Uh, I don't know if that's a direct <laughs> that translation. Is a complicated but, amount of ghosts you got in there. That's yeah, a complicated a, group so, of ghosts. The ghosts are so busy fighting each other that I don't think we really we're, we're fine. They they, yeah. they got to get their own stuff figured out before they start haunting us. And yeah, I was going to say, problems. how many nights have you awoken and there's just a weird old monk floating in the corner of your room? Is that pretty much every night or uh, every other night? His temples, disrupting his temples. Like we got to find a new place to haunt. This is, <laughs> this is just irritating. We got, a bunch of, we got a bunch of Americans in here. Oh gosh, we need a new crowded. cool They don't even speak our language. Haunt. So we can't really give them any messages. No spooky messages from beyond the grave. Like I wake up and I find like blood on the mirror that spells out like Nespa something. Hang on. Listen, I've got my Google. This I don't speak here. French. <laughs> You're going to have to speak more clearly spooky old monk monk because i know what you're going for but i have no idea what you're saying i can't i have I can't, no I, idea is this a message for help is this just menacing <laughs> do you need something listen need i some- i'm just gonna ignore you and turn on jerry lewis movies all day because this is fun. so do you okay jesse and annie yeah. you're the conspiracy theorist here yes you watch yeah, the yeah, ghost yeah. hunter tv shows no, i believe 0%. I believe in the spiritual realm. Obviously yeah. there's, yeah. I mean, demons and angels and all the things. Do you believe in ghosts? I, I, I don't, I don't think I believe in ghosts, but I do think the, the realm beyond ours is more mysterious than we understand. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that when people die, you know, that their presence is trapped in some sort of physical location. But I do think yeah, that, that's tough our understanding of the supernatural yeah. is, uh, uh, you know, very elementary. And hmm. I do feel like this. I'm glad you asked this question, actually, because <laughs> I think in, in, in real talk, I honestly feel like churches ignore this kind of stuff. Talk. I have never once heard a sermon about ghosts. Not one time. And you can't tell me people don't think about it. Like, everyone's curious about ghosts. It would be a fascinating sermon. But when we get so many of these, like, if I'm scrolling Instagram, right, and you have, like, a preacher, and he's on there, you know, take down near the Goliath in your life today, you know, all this inspirational stuff. I want one where he's, like, you know, Diving into a fifteen-second rant about ghosts in the Bible, I would totally listen to are that there sermon. Ghosts in the Bible? Yes, there are ghosts in the Bible. Yeah, how are ghosts in the yeah. Bible? 
There Ooh. are totally ghosts in the Bible. Yeah. No one's talking about it. They don't like. I've always Wait. wanted a sermon about aliens, and I've always wanted <laughs> a sermon about ghosts. You can roll them up for 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 uh, uh, Halloween weekend. It would be the spookiest sermon. It would be a sermon series about <laughs> cryptozoology. Yeah. Okay. Because honestly, real. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not done here, Annie. <laughs> Annie, oh, let's, let me finish this. Let me finish You're this never point. done. We just have to interrupt at some point. Let me finish going. this point real quick. You could do a, a legit sermon series on cryptozoology because there's a lot of theories about giants and the nephilim okay yeah. if you go down these these rabbit holes and listen to these weird podcasts that i do from time to time you know there's a lot of biblical stuff with cryptozoology you could have that one week you have aliens in the next and you could have ghosts and that would be i would not like some sunday mornings i'm like i don't know if i'm Really tired. We could just do brunch today. We'll just, you know, do a little family Bible study and, and I'll play hooky. If it was supernatural sermon series, I'm, I am front and center. I'm taking notes. I never take notes in church. I doodle, I doodle on the bulletins. I'm not a note taker. Okay. I just absorb it. I would be furiously taking notes every week, asking questions in the middle of the sermon. I would come up for prayer. Asking after. questions. I'd I would come, come up for, for prayer? For ministry time. Oh, I would come up and be Lord. like, I'm very unsettled uh, by the exploration of the dark side. I'm going to need prayer today. Why is this ignored in the church? I, if Where so are glad there you brought ghosts this up. in the Bible? What are you talking about? Tyler, uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this. We actually there ran. are a few of them. Yeah, yeah. We've I yeah. think we've done this. We've done this article. We we try to yeah. be the change we want to see in the in the church. Here, so <laughs> yeah. we're not at fault here. Don't we don't? Are y'all just... talking about like Moses and Elijah on the mountain with Jesus? Are you calling no, that no, a we're ghost talking, visitation? We're talking, no, 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 no. We're talking about actual ghosts. Like, no, y'all are making ooh. stuff up. No, no. In the Old Testament, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna have to look up the article because I. This is why we need more sermons about it because I should be able to read. If someone said, "Hey, what, what's a verse I can read about about uh uh y- y- you know." Serving the poor. Oh, you should read James. Oh, what what about salvation? Oh, you should check out Romans. Oh, what mm-hmm. about this? What about uh, the teachings of Christ? Oh, the Sermon on the Mount. What about the good story about ghosts? Guess what? You've left me ill-equipped, church. I went to a Christian. I went to Christian high school. I went to Christian college, and I got no idea where the ghost verses are on top of my head. You have failed us. Yeah, I don't know where to go from here. I thought you were looking up ghosts for me. There are verses in the Bible that kind of like uh, they like loosely could be interpreted as to like this doesn't really fit in with the state with the standard like heaven, hell, uh, evangelical fundy end times theory. Right. First Sam first Samuel 28. Saul talks with Samuel's ghost. Yep. Does it say ghost? According to Bible Gateway dot com, it does. That's the word they use. BibleGateway.com really? is pretty conservative. Gateway. The the behead and the CEV, contemporary English version, mm-hmm. in the scripture is as uh, first Samuel 28, Saul talks with Samuel's ghost. Yeah. And he visited the witch of Endor, who yep. was a median who yep. talked with the dead. Like so that Samuel, is literally in the Bible. It says Samuel had died. Bible this is witches. verse one. First Samuel 28, verse one, Samuel had died sometime earlier and people from all over Israel had attended his funeral in his hometown of Ramah. Meanwhile, Saul had been trying to get rid of everyone who spoke to the spirits of the dead. But one day the Philistines brought their soldiers together to attack Israel. Akish told David, of course, you know that you and your men must fight as part of our Philistine army. David answered, that will give you a chance to see for yourself just how well we can fight. In that case, Akish said, you and your men will Always be my bodyguards. Um, scanning ahead. Okay. Um, 
The Philistines went to Shuman, this is verse four, and set up camp. Saul called the army of Israel together and they set up their camp in Gilboa. Saul took one look at the Philistine army and started shaking with fear. So he asked the Lord what to do, but the Lord wouldn't answer either in a dream or by a priest or a prophet. Then Saul told his officers, find me a woman who can talk to the spirits of the dead. I'll go to her and find out what's going on. His servants told him there's a woman at Endor who can talk to the spirits of the dead. That night, Saul put on different clothing so nobody would recognize him. People should see Jesse's eyes right now. Then he and two of his men went to the woman and, and asked, will you bring up the ghost of someone for us? The woman said, why are you trying to trick me and get me killed? You know, King Saul has gotten rid of everyone who talks to the spirits of the dead. Saul replied, I swear by the living Lord that nothing will happen to you because of this. Who do you want me to bring up? She asked. Bring up the ghost of Samuel, he answered. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. Then she turned to Saul and said, you've tricked me. You're the king. Don't be afraid, Saul replied. Just tell me what you see. She answered, I see a spirit rising up out of the ground. What does it look like? It looks like an old man wearing a robe. Saul knew it was Samuel, so he bowed down low. Why are you bothering me by bringing me up like this? Samuel asked. I'm terribly worried, Saul answered. The Philistines are about to attack me. God has turned his back on me and won't answer any more prophets or by dreams. What should I do? And then Samuel started talking to him and it goes on from there. So, so Annie, we have yeah. in the Bible a sweet meeting with a ghost. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I am, that, I am, that, I, that, stand, that ev- evangelical I stand corrected. Industrial complex sweeps under the rug. No one wants to talk about ghosts. Oh, you know, gosh. I, one time, this is true. One so time wait, I passed. Are we officially saying that Christian theology is that ghosts are real because it's in scripture? Is that what I, we're saying? I, I'm saying I'm poorly equipped to answer that question because no, because pastors have just ignored it. They've ignored yeah. all three of those topics. Can we push the science topics. mic yeah. button on this one? No, oh, this feels on. like a science mic button. No, no this I is not this science. This is outside of his wheelhouse. <laughs> this is why we need ghost theologians. Like, Nothing I, is outside of science mic's wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> no, one time, okay, one time my pastor, he had an idea and he's like, I'm going to, uh, I, you know, I want to do a sermon series and I, but I want to do stuff that's going to impact the congregation. So at the end of the service, we're going to pass around this bucket and pieces of paper and you can write down the topics that you want me to talk about. I'm going to read all of them and I'll do a couple sermons on there. I wrote space. Are we alone? Okay. On the piece of paper and I dropped it in the bucket. I didn't write my name on it. And, and so a couple Sundays later, he's like, and he said, listen, uh, I did find some topics, but we're not going to do that exercise anymore. There was literally someone who wanted me to talk about aliens. I think it's better that I pick sermon topics. Now, I never fessed up to it. No, but of course I was not. only half joking. Why not? Why not talk about th- these topics? It, it, Annie, you're a preacher, right? You, yes. you, you craft sermon series. What do. do you think of my triad there? Cryptozoology, I think that ghosts, you just changed aliens. my sermon topic for October 13th. Oh, yeah. I'm you're going talking to a preacher. I'm going yes. ghosts, comma, go- ghost, colon, are they real? Question mark. A study on the ghost of Samuel. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. If I'm like, if I'm like trying to, you know, download some, some sermon pods to get my, you know, to, to, to get my spiritual food, you know, for my workout. And I'm like looking Craig Rochelle. <laughs> let's see. He's got, Oh, one about anxiety. That looks good. Uh, one about loving your neighbor. One ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a ghost sermon. <laughs> Man. Can you imagine Samuel? He's like, up in heaven living his life and suddenly someone like rings the doorbell that he has to come interact with Saul and he's like 
No, 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 no. Oh, man. Literally. <laughs> he oh, said, like, why did you bring me up? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Here's man, what I think. I think Andy, you can correct me on this. Here's why I think they don't. Here's I what I, I think there's two reasons that Pat, one, Pastors know it's it's getting controversial. You know, they, the kids don't want to hear. They, they don't want parents to be calling in like my now my kid's scared because you talked about ghosts in the sermon or whatever. I think that's one reason that's, you know, that's valid or whatever. But I think the other one is and I've believed this for a long time. I think pastors worry too much about the practical application part of sermons because they always need that little take yeah. home, that little like, so here's what yeah. you can do this week. And sometimes I don't need, sometimes I just want to hear a cool story from the Bible. So the Bible's got, the Bible <laughs> doesn't worry. I just want a good old ghost story. You know what? After the story of David and Goliath, the Bible just moves on. It doesn't stop and say like what each of these little stones, to, one was courage, one was faith, or whatever. They just say, you know what? He used a slingshot and he killed Goliath and he cut his head off with his own sword. Move on. Anyway, here's what David did next. I think that your ghost sermon, which you're going to do, and I'm, I hope mm-hmm. you wait until I'm back in the States because I will, I definitely will go. Uh, I would love to hear you preach on it. I don't think you need to worry about the like, <laughs> and so my brothers and sisters, here is what our Lord meant here's for us to understand. Today. Just be like ghosts yeah. in the Bible. Wait, can there, I there. end with an it's acronym weird. of ghost? Yeah. Ooh, oh, well, if that, Rick Warren did this, it'd be an acronym. Yeah. God, yeah. holy, yeah. Awesome, kind of works. What saved? That's what we are. Isn't, by the way, <laughs> by the way, isn't that the worst at a sermon too? Where you think they're wrapping up, and he's like, and that's why uh, I think it's important to remember these five points. And you're like, are you kidding? You're done. Da- There's a whole point thing. Five I thought we were done. I thought you were on the third sermon point. Ghost, I didn't know like, Thank the good Lord, we're not done yet. I was hoping that he was gonna, he or she was gonna keep going, and now. They've stopped. I audibly show my displeasure when that happens in a sermon. Oh, where it's like, do? okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or just, whoo, whoo. Yeah, so, did someone just hoot in the back? No, I was sighing dramatically because <laughs> I realized what I thought was a concluding yeah. point yeah. was really just the beginning. You haven't right. even got to the points yet. We're fine without the points. I've learned enough. And you've managed to ignore ghosts once again. So, yes. <laughs> <sighs> My faith feels incomplete because you never bring up ghosts in the Bible. Listen, I'm going to be on a national platform on a podcast and somebody is going to ask me what I believe about ghosts. You know what I got to tell them? I don't know because no pastor has ever taught me. And I'm going to draw my own conclusions. And that the real. That's dangerous. And everywhere is super haunted. Thanks a lot, pastor. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and you don't have to make my alien request was not in jest. I really wanted Man, this is, an alien. This is a so. very fascinating. I'm not being sarcastic at all. This is very fascinating to me. I know. I, I'm literally thinking about this, like in the sense that like, okay, I was raised like, okay, there's good and evil and yeah, like, spirits. okay, there's a so spiritual have, realm. Is that what you mean? Yeah, of course. And yeah. like in the, you know, like, okay, those horror movies that talk about ghosts or the haunted this or that, whatever, you, you know, even if there is something, it's demonic and yeah you know, like dismiss it completely. But if you read and and so think about so many things about our current society, it was like, well, what does the Bible say about X issue? You know, yeah, it's vague if, or it's not directly addressed and we fill in the blanks a lot. Okay. About the interaction with ghosts, the dead of dead people, it is right there in the Bible and, and, and first Samuel, I mean, Saul went and sought the wisdom of Samuel and it's like, okay, they had a whole conversation and went through a medium 
I mean, like, this is crazy. Like and Christians Samuel probably were, was like, I thought I was done with Saul. I thought yeah. I had, I'd done everything. This I guy, yeah. this guy uh, is but, who called me down but, here. But not only that, there's I didn't a lot. Like this guy. There's a lot about in, in in about the supernatural in that's in the Bible that is is ignored. And like you were saying, Cameron, I think for reasons of convenience because they're they're too complicated and weird to talk about. But like Dal- in Dallas, Dallas Willard has a book where he talks about you know the Bible's clear there are other gods like. There yeah. are John there Mark Comer writes about this too. Yeah, yeah, there are gods like in the Bible. There are principalities. Uh, you know, there's a reason why he's called the Lord of Lords, and to have yeah. no other gods before him because the yep. insinuation is there are other gods that operate in the spiritual realm. Like that. That's yeah. John Mark Comer writes about it, Dallas Willard writes about it, but I've never once heard it addressed in a sermon, just because I feel like it's easier to talk about ideas that have some practical life implication than like super interesting stuff that's actually so, in the Bible. But my understanding of it, and I'm no theologian, but my understanding of it just kind of in my, you know, upbringing in the church was that in that time, the Romans and, and, and different, you know, parts of society worship different gods and that the nomenclature of the Lord of Lords was like, this is the one true God. This is actually the only true God. Yeah. And it is the God that is, you know, makes all your gods go away. I mean, it was just it kind of dismissive that it's idolatry and yeah. stuff. I, I didn't see it as theological that these gods are operating in the spirit realm and they are worth worshiping or some people worshiping that it's like, no, 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 your gods, what you think are gods are not gods. This is the one true God. That's what I always know. That's what that John Mark Comer's book. God has a name. The whole thing is about this because it's about how we should actually call him Yahweh because he, he has a name because there are other gods Hmm. and the name of our God is Yahweh and he is greater than the other gods. It's a, it's a, it changed my perspective on all those scriptures you mentioned, Jesse, when I read God has a name. Yeah. And, and, And I mean, even, even stuff like another kind of like weird story that's in the Bible is like the, the Nephilim, like this, hybrid half demon half human that ruled the large parts of the world for a long time and that God ended up partly sending the, the flood down to wipe out this supernatural race that was you know uh, persecuting mankind. Like it's a weird story, you know, but, but, but no one, you you know, it's largely kind of ignored. Well, it wasn't ignored in the movie Moa Noah with Russell Crow Mm -hmm. because the rock monsters were very real. Yeah. We're, we're very cool. And I believe there should be representation <laughs> and, of rock, and, and people people laughed at them. We laughed at them. We were part of the problem there. I admit to it. I can own up to it. I'm not too big to admit my own mistakes. I made fun of the rock monsters. Now I'm wishing there's a sermon out there that addressed Thank the you. Nephilim the rock potential rock monsters. I think there is, a, there is a lot of Nephilim stuff you can listen to and read about. Oh, I know. I know. But I'm having to much listen it, to weird. Much of it created by me. <laughs> I, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't get this type of Bible lesson from weird paranormal podcasts that honestly, I don't know what they believe, but it's out there. And but no one's giving me it. I got to go somewhere. You know, it's, it's, it's oh a real shame. Gosh. It's a real All shame. Right, Louis Giglio, if you're listening, mm-hmm. passion 2019, this, I would this New Year's Eve. Hey, yeah. I would oh, yeah. love, because we interview a lot of leaders and, and, and thought leaders in the church on the show. 
I would love the next time we have like one of, you know, a David Platt, <laughs> Christine Kane, like a really thoughtful Bible teacher to pop the ghost question just out of nowhere. You know, hey, we do that sometimes like, you know, we'll, we know what mm-hmm. we need for the article or the yeah. podcast segment. And then we're like, well, why we have you on? Here's five other questions that we might use throughout the year for other, yeah. you know, things we could throw the what does the Bible say about ghosts or are, are ghosts real in that mix? Yeah. I think that's absolutely valid. All right. I'm going to do it. And then if they go, no, ghosts aren't real. We go, well, what about first Samuel? Well, well, tell that to the witch of Endor. Uh (laughs) Oh, that's weird. They didn't teach that in seminary. I know it's been ignored for a long time now, hasn't it? Oh my gosh. Now I would like to introduce to an acronym that I have. It's called spooky, spooky, and it's a lot of points. So (laughs) sit back and let me school you and T right. The last 10 minutes of my sermon. (laughs) <laughs> I'd like to go get into my acronym, my big take home. Now, this will spell out the word supernat- paranormal supernatural activity within the Bible, uh, starting with the Burnett's. <laughs> All right, moving the show along. Stay tuned up next. It's Slices. listening to shade the song is thunder at the beginning of the podcast you heard influence music and michael ketterer with rebels all right we'll go a little quick on this one since we went a little long on the uh, spiritual uh, theology lesson on the last segment okay it's time for slices what what you just heard there was uh good versus evil battling with the swords and uh-huh. like they were <laughs> you know, and a show the show versus the swords. That, Good that literally is the soundtrack to the Battle of Armageddon. Like the shofar enacts, <laughs> like like yeah, they come at each other, and then all the swords. The only, the only problem is, I don't think in the Battle of Armageddon, the Jesus and the forces of of good and the devil will be facing off with fencing swords. Like I don't <laughs> think it'll be, I don't think it'll be a fencing <laughs> match. I mean, it could be, <laughs> it could be, but it's that'd be, re- that'd be very different. Yeah, I'd be very. Well, different. I mean, I mean, our Bibles are a sword of the spirit, right? So we we can. We, yeah, I'm know. just saying our sound effects doesn't sound like medieval. It sounds like. Yeah, it's, I mean, Tyler, you're in France. That's like probably the national mm-hmm. sport there, fencing. Um, it looks like a very. Oh, there French are swords on every do. street corner. It's the national currency over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you have, Jesse? All right, I have a two for, but I know we did a lot of ghost talks. So I'll keep it reasonably quick here. Um, so you've always heard, I'm sure most of you guys have heard the 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 old uh, saying like you should. It's not a great idea to go grocery shopping while hungry because you'll you you will tend to make purchases that you normally wouldn't uh, make. Like you would see stuff that appeals to you yeah. and you would buy it. So right. now new research has shown uh, and they actually looked at a, a group of like 50 participants to, to, to confirm this, to show that actually you shouldn't make any big decisions while hungry. So uh, people uh-huh. were given like hypothetical scenarios and uh, some before, some after lunch. And in, in what the study bore out is that when people are hungry, they tend to make decisions that will offer uh, more immediate satisfaction, but end up being not as good in the long term. So like, you know, if you're making like an investment, they, 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 you know, in the study, they specifically said, like, if you're going to meet with like a bank about a, a lending situation, 
it's way better to go in uh, uh, having eaten because hunger, like on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is so high up to the top. And when you're hungry, your brain starts thinking more impulsively. So uh, the moral of the story is don't. That feels true. That's why people get sure. hangry, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 Essentially, like hangry is, is a thing, but also literally can cloud your judgment. So uh, I thought it felt yeah. like that was an interesting research, uh, uh, you know. To throw out there, but I want to I want to talk about one other um, uh, study and and Huck, you wrote about this actually on the site this week about a new study uh, from uh, Christian Higher Education that says students who choose to attend evangelical colleges are more likely to experience spiritual struggles than their mainstream counterparts or even students who mm. attend mainline Christian colleges. So uh, uh, I they they looked at. Uh, Surveys from more than 14,000 students at 136 uh, colleges and universities. And they found that at even uh, students at evangelical colleges are more likely to be uncertain of their beliefs and disillusioned with their Christian upbringings than other students. So the shift, they actually come and, and, and it, the, the, according to the story, actually being at the evangelical college has something to do with this disillusionment because they report when they come into school, they're very secure in their faith and they're very secure in their background. By junior year, the research shows that a lot has shifted. Um, and so that's particularly at evangelical schools. I was I went to an evangelical college. I know, Cameron, you did as well. Uh, what do you Certainly. guys? Not me. Yeah. Well, what, what do you what do you guys think about this research and kind of, uh, you know, what it kind of says about Christian higher education. I mean, I think one reason is because these colleges have blatantly been ignoring ghosts for decades. <laughs> and as soon as they find out about it, the witch of Endor, <laughs> you know, something's going on here. We talked about this on yesterday's uh, relevant daily, uh, Tyler and I did. And it was my abs- absolutely my observation going to a Christian university coming in, you're on fire for God, I'm a freshman. And then you look around and you notice like all the upperclassmen are jaded, mm. not all, but most. Ah, and I kind of go, it's a thing. What, what happens over these next four years, you know? And, and, and I don't know what it is about the environment. It's just kind of like, I think a big part of it is the, a lot of the kids who go to Christian universities kind of grew up in very, uh, you know, Christian homes and lived in a pretty bubble life and, and then came to a Christian university and all of a sudden they're on their own for the first time and they're going, wait, why do I believe what I believe? And, and they've never actually had a healthy process of having to understand their faith, defend their faith, be in relationship or friendship with people who don't believe the way they believe. And so like they, all of a sudden, like you pull, it's like a Jenga thing. You pull one log out or one thread, pull one thread and the whole thing unravels. And, and it's just like, I don't know that the Christian university is like really even most now Huck had a different experience, but I don't know that most even really, embrace that process of yeah. questioning and doubt and then help help you come out the other side stronger for that process. And so here we are like in this environment where nobody's really acknowledging it and you're just starting to question everything. And you feel like you're the only one or maybe you find a couple of other friends who also are and then you just kind of go this other direction. Um, uh, where and I'll hug, tell you, as a, as a teacher and a preacher and a speaker that goes and does um, college chapels and required convocations there it is kind of known in our world that there is not a harder crowd than christian college kids who are forced to go to chapel three times a week i, bet oh, I, bet. I mean I they bet are like them with a ghost sermon. they are I it is brutal bring a ghost yeah. story 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Ghost now, I know. Ghost now I know the trick. <laughs> but that, it's that, it's what you're saying, Cameron. It's that like they are they're forced to sit there and listen to me or one of me three times a week. And where I, when I went to Georgia, we didn't ever get that kind of stuff. So if mm-hmm. a if a Bob Goff came to town or I remember when Angela Thomas came to town, we went nuts because we couldn't believe we were getting to hear in Athens, Georgia, such a respected Christian teacher that came in from somewhere else where some of these private Christian universities and Christian schools get that level of uh, teaching three times a week. Yeah, I, it's like been there, done that. And it's like, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden you mm-hmm. like, you take it for granted what you have and you want to see what else is out there and you start to, you know, kind of push the boundaries and ask questions and you whatever. And yeah, it makes sense. Like, it's just almost like, yeah. They interviewed a few people and this was my stated experience. I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and, uh, and it was the... the the, the Moody, Moody Bible, Bible, the Moody yeah. Bible Institute in Chicago. <laughs> I want one NFL player, by the way, to, to come from Moody. All right, I was about so, to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, John Van Norman, there was the a... Moody Bible Institute. <laughs> Linebacker. <laughs> there was a, uh, there was a, a uh, phrase that went around there that said being... A, a, uh, the best time in your life to be a heretic is at a Christian college because you're surrounded by people who can help kind of guide and shepherd you through that deconstruction experience. So you have uh, these these authorities and these experts you can take your questions to. They can help you. Now, that was said. And um, whether or not people actually felt that that was a people were like accepting and open to their doubts is kind of a I think that's a fair question. I'm not sure everybody who went to my school at least would ha- say they had this same experience there. But a number of the professors that were spoken to in the report about this did say that that's uh, that they weren't surprised really these professors at different evangelical colleges. And then in some cases, it's actually the stated goal. We want to challenge students in their faith. Yeah. We want to push them and, and see if they can um, see uh, push them beyond where, where they were when they came in so that hopefully by the time they leave, by the time they graduate, they've experienced some of the, the cerebral intellectual tests to their faith uh, that they would sooner or later anyway. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think partly too, I mean, this is anecdotal. I don't think this is in the research, but I think to a degree, cynicism is contagious. And, you know, once 100%. you have a couple of cynical people in an environment like a Christian college, that ten, that cynicism tends to spread. Like, I, 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 I don't. Cynicism is contagious. Yeah. Yes. I like that. That's true. Uh, you, that you know, be a sermon. I, I know. Oh, you so know. is gratefulness, though. So is gratitude, yeah, right? Yeah. Gratitude is as contagious as cynicism. And so is we it? have to. I think so. I genuinely think if you show up work every day and you show up with a with an attitude of gratefulness, I almost said an attitude of gratitude. If you show up with an attitude of gratefulness, that's going to spread as much as cynicism. It may take a little bit longer, but I think that I think they are two sides of the same coin and you get to decide what everybody sees. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I mean, building teams for the last 19 years, like you have one bad seed and it absolutely spreads through the company like a cancer, like especially a small yeah. team like ours. And then you, if you were to swap that person out for somebody who did come in, like not necessarily just grateful for, you know, their job or whatever, but just had a mm-hmm. positive attitude about life, you know, yeah. right? it definitely changes the temperature of the team. I mean, you're yeah. absolutely right. The influence yeah. uh, that... You know that 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 has. That's interesting. I heard a great sermon. One time we conjured up uh, Samuel, and <laughs> oh. it's called "The Attitude of Gratitude." It's great stuff. So, 
I would be very grateful if somebody would talk about ghosts and there's a practical application for it. Make me grateful. A spirit of gratefulness. Oh, no. A ghost of gratefulness. Um, all right. What do you have, Annie? Okay. So I was reading this article about how, especially thinking after our great conversation with uh, Mike Foster on Friday about suicide and depression and kind of where we are in that world. I found this article that talks about how we are, the millennial generation is going to therapy more than any generation before us. Um, and then I found, y'all ready? I found this other one that I thought was a great, so the, here's a tiny twofer. That's the start of the twofer. Here's the twofer. A therapist who has been working with millennials for over five years says that they have a number one complaint that they've seen across the board in their millennial clients. Do you want to guess what it is? No. Not enough spirit. Not enough, like, no, I don't want to guess. Ghost content in yeah. their house <laughs> of abortion. That's it. <laughs> um, you know, because what the problem is, is that a lot of Gen Xers are kind of labeled as lazy and uh, no, sorry. This counselor is a Gen Xer and he's saying that, you know, millennials are la- labeled as lazy and like kind of unprepared for adult life. But the biggest complaint he sees is that millennials have too many choices. That the thing they come in with the most anxiety about is their amount of choices. Do you? What do you think about that? And like, I assume like, and like in terms of college and yeah, uh, decision like fatigue, like the idea that you can choose from and and yeah. relationship. I I do think <clears throat> I, I think it's interesting because it seems like the the younger generation seems to be much less pragmatic than older generations like and what i mean by that is like for a lot of uh, older generations you know if i've like talked to like my grandfather or something it was like we did our profession because it was like the most practical thing we could do like i -hmm. worked in this factory because it was close by and provided a good income and i didn't really think too much about it like there 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 was a pragmatism even when it came to like marriage and you know relationship it just seems like decisions there weren't enough i i feel like decisions become very emotionally involved these days when yeah. i don't necessarily think they need to be i mean i think yeah we, you know there, there's so mm. much emotional baggage we tie to every major decision that yeah. instead of just like saying objectively well this is what i'm going to do and i'm not going to look back i'm not going to second guess mm-hmm. myself because there's a lot of second guessing when it comes to big decisions too that i feel like yeah. probably adds to that sort of fatigue because you keep re yeah. relitigating your decisions over and over again you know that's what he says this counselor says that's the biggest thing is that for the generations before us there weren't as many choices and while they look not look down at us look down at us but as they look down generationally they go you've got so many more choices i bet that's so easy and the reality is that the amount of choices have, ha, makes a lot of people in our generation and younger than us actually feel overwhelmed and stressed and feel like they don't know how to make these big decisions about how to spend their money or what per- career path to take or who to marry. It just feels like there's more choices than ever before. And it's actually causing more uh, stress for us than joy. For, for I think it was on an episode of the Love and Money podcast where you talked to someone who was like a minimalist, like they're... Uh philosophically a minimalist and uh they've written books about it but part of that philosophy was the limitation of choices like it you know even on a small scale like 
limit the amount of clothes you have in your closet because it limits the yeah. amount of time you you spend making a choice about what you're going to wear that day. Limit what's in your yep. pantry. Limit, you know, like limit there's a there's a freedom in limiting self putting self limitations on your choices even for small decisions. Uh uh and that's sort of like one of the philosophies of kind of the modern minimalism movement, you know. Yeah. All right. Mm. What do you have, Huck? From the future. This is, we'll keep it short because I know we're, we're running low on time here. But uh, I was interested. This is a, uh, these, these are related. So I was super interested to come across this study um, that said that most uh, uh, American teen, the number one concern for American teenagers, probably no, this won't be a big surprise, but what's the, for the American teenager, what, what social issue do you think is the number one biggest concern they're facing? Uh, outside the number of Number one biggest concern. Outside of wait, 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 social concern? You just said social concern. Yes. Like they're, uh, uh being uh, left out, like FOMO. The issue, yeah. Like issue, not, not like yeah. social, like, not like friendships, but like they're, they're like cause. Yeah. They oh. care about the most. Gun Socio-political. Environmental. Yeah, it has to be yeah. environmental, yeah. Environmentalism, yeah. Um, and that led to, so the study of far and away, this is the, this is a new record for any sort of activism among any generation since they've started surveying this. Uh, 24%, almost one in four teenagers have participated in some sort of, either a school walkout, a protest, or uh, called a government official about climate change. Some sort of, and these are all people who, uh, for for a non-voting age demographic, this is the most activism, political activism that's been recorded around a single issue, right? So that led me down a rabbit hole, and I'd be curious to get y'all's thoughts about this because I was not aware that this was uh, even something that was under consideration. There's a very robust amount of uh, conversation about this. Should the voting age remain at 18? Or should it be lowered to try to spur more uh, involvement for people who are already taking act, already being activists, they're already interested in political issues, but they obviously don't have a say in this. Uh, and there's, uh, I believe, Andrew Yang, a uh, Democratic candidate for the presidency, has proposed lowering the voting age to 16. I've seen some places say that if you can if you can fill out a ballot on your own, you should be allowed to vote. There's a whole uh, uh, robust study around this on uh, that some people have considered bringing to proposal, like final legislation, just to say if, if anybody in the same household, because uh, there's no reason to think that just because you're young doesn't mean you're not you're any more or less involved or aware than somebody who's older. We've obviously all know people who vote who probably don't know a lot about what they're voting for, but they go in there and fill out a ballot anyway. So it's curious why you just wanted to throw open swim a little bit. Do you think there's a case to be made for lowering the voting age? And if so, how low do you think it should go? Okay. I mean, let's be real. I mean, voter suppression is a real thing. Gerrymandering sure. is a real mm-hmm. thing by done by people in power to suppress the voice of people without power. Okay. Right. And if right. the demographic mm-hmm. shifts show that the younger generation oppose this status quo on certain significant issues, gun violence, environmentalism, whatever, the powers that be will do everything they can to suppress that voice. There's no way there will be any proposal to lower the voting age until the generation that's currently in high school gets into power, knowing that they need to empower the next generation. And in 20 years, I could see it shifting. But until then, until this current power base dies off, literally dies off, they will do everything they can to retain their their. I, their I agree role. that the real, like realistically, 
the odds of this are small, but I'm wondering what, if you think the case could be made for high schoolers, middle schoolers, even elementary elementary students uh, going to the polls. When you take an issue like gun violence and there's been, you know, these these horrific school shootings, there is this um, unfairness to the 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 fact that a lot of the the victims and people who are affected affected by federal legislations don't have a voice in that legislation you know right. yeah, that's and true. so i do think there is a very strong case to to be made that lowering the voting age would give people a voice that are actually affected by real world legislation i mean like or i mean you could take something like education policy the people who are actually in school don't get a say in the policy like i i think you you could- yeah but hold on, hold on hold on that's like asking your kid what time they think their bedtime should be you know well not, like not, i mean a six-year-old doesn't know what's best for them sometimes but i i don't feel like their voice should i don't feel like they should have no power like, especially, I'm not saying all the way down to like elementary school. But literally, have- I asked my nine-year-old who's in fourth grade what his favorite class is, and it's recess. And if we were to ask him about the educational policy and how they spend their time, he would eliminate math. And yeah. it's just like, no, that's not but, but an I, option. But I think right if you, yeah, if but you we're not talking about like putting, high school. Him on, putting him in Senate. Well, we're talking. To, we're talking right, about right. voting. Yeah. You know, voting for candidates <laughs> yeah, who hopefully right. have that's better. Right. You know, they're not going to try and to. And I chase wonder about the, the. I mean, here's the other honest truth: is if a if a nine. Nah, I'm not going to say that. If a 13 year old can vote, that means that our officials and politicians who want to be in office have to speak in a way that a nine year old can understand what they are standing for. And I bet a lot more adults would show up at the polls if they were if the politicians were using language that everyone could understand. Well, I don't know if you guys watched the last re- Democratic debate, but that was addressed <laughs> with the idea of record players being played in the House. I heard the story about this gangster named Corn Pop that all the kids are talking about. I don't know if you guys saw that video, but it is insane. Joe Biden rambling about a confrontation he had with a gang member named Corn Pop at the neighborhood pool back in the day. Those are the type of issues that are going to appeal to the young people of this country. I don't think I definitely agree that there shouldn't be like a like we're, we're not trying to lower the you know, we, we don't want. People who start chasing the like six-year-old demographic by promising candy and for school lunch from now on, but uh, right. but offering them a voice in serious legislation that is being proposed by adults around things like uh, I think gun violence is a great issue. Climate change is also a good issue because the next generation is going to be the one to have to deal with the ramifications of the ones that this generation is kind of willing to punt down the. They're already willing to punt to them eventually, so why not give them a say right, right now already? And uh, I think there's a I. I see the case. This has come. This comes across a little more libertarian than I usually get, but uh, but I think it's kind of an interesting idea. And I just was uh, I, I wanted to bring it up as a slice, mostly to get you, mostly so we could all chew the fat together. That's what I'm saying. They'd have to make it more. Le- they would have to make it less complex, <laughs> right? And, Which and it, I think is imp- Yes, Jason. go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. Say nope. it. Make fun. Go. I was going to say. I saw your face. You're ready. I was going Give it to, to me. Say, and it also might mean that like Bernie Sanders would have to make like. Uh, TikTok videos and that'd be hilarious. What is this thing? How does this work? I don't even know what it button is. You kids, you vote for me. Bernie Sanders doing, the- doing his Old Town Road covers on the, on the new Old Town Road. Oh, the kids want to hear this. 
He's down with Killer Mike and Cardi B. That's I mean, he would be the, he would be got, the candidate on TikTok. He's got the right yeah. people on his team who can help navigate TikTok. I think That's Joe, right. I think Joe might be in a little bit of trouble there. His entire TikTok feed would be TikTok? would be a picture of his finger. Like, did I get it? Did I hit? Is it start? Did it start? Biden knows, his entire Biden feed. knows two functions on his phone: how to actually answer phone calls and then make the text bigger. Because so hard to see you on the normal phone. Right? You're looking at like your parents' phones. It's like, good lord, I didn't even know the font could get that big on a text message. Well, that'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, we're going to take a minute and tell you about the new issue of Relevant. You're listening to Joy Wave, Song is Obsession. Well, before we get to our feature guest in the next segment, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, we want to tell you about the brand new issue of Relevant, issue 101. Uh, if you remember, issue 100 was kind of a unique addition uh, for us. It didn't have any normal features. When we just kind of did a, something totally out of the box for issue 100. Well, 101, we're back with the content mix that um, you're used to. And we're excited for you to see this issue. Uh, on the cover is Malcolm Gladwell. And it's also packed with uh, a ton of great content that we're excited about. It's in motion. If you're a subscriber, it is on its way to you. It's uh, I think it's out on newsstands now. And for those of you who haven't seen the issue, uh, you can go to relevantmagazine.com and view the whole thing there, actually. So uh, you can go check it out. But we want to tell you about some of the highlights from the issue and some of the, you know, kind of why we did what we did the way we did it, you know? Yeah. So Malcolm's on the cover, uh, but we aren't going to talk about it yeah, because we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. So well, you'll figure, see. Yeah, you'll, you'll, see. You'll, you'll see. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the issue is, uh, you know, kind of that mix of, faith and life and culture and justice uh, that people kind of know us for. Um, and not only do we have like a thought leader like Malcolm, but we sit down with one of our favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan and his wife, yeah. Jeannie, who have a crazy story, a, a real faith story that they told us about. Um, Jesse, you talked to them, right? Yeah. So Jim's wife, Jeannie, is also uh, his like co-writer. And they, in addition to be being married and, and being the parents, the five children, you know, work very closely together. And uh, recently she um, ended up having a the diagnosis that she had a, a very large brain tumor. And it, it threatened uh, her life. And, you know, thankfully, the doctors were able to treat her and remove the tumor. But it really challenged the way that they think about faith. Um, you know, Jim in his comedy frequently kind of jokes about being a Catholic, but this made a lot of things real for them and it established uh, kind of a new perspective on faith. And they really opened up about it. Like they were not mincing words about how much their faith uh, really impacted them during this time. It was a really yeah. interesting conversation. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, Jim's been clean and kind of has some Jesus jokes and is kind of known 
for their Catholic faith, but to see how their faith strengthened so much uh, during that uh, crisis was really heartening. It was awesome. Uh, also in the issue, we have uh, we talked to some of our favorite bands. Uh, the band Joseph is in the issue. Uh, we talked to Han uh, about their evolution as a group um, uh, as well. We talked to Andy Minio about uh, more than his new album. I mean, reflecting on the loss of his mom and and kind of what it's like being an artist in the digital era and the double-edged sword of like emotional honesty, which yeah. is something that he's uh, <laughs> experiencing right now with his new project. Um, we we also have some pretty hard-hitting issues. We, we look at probably the largest humanitarian crisis that nobody's talking about and what's going on in Yemen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, right now there are millions of people on the brink of starvation in Yemen because of a conflict that's been going on for a while that the U.S. has actually played a pretty big role in. And uh, right now it's being debated in Washington about what role what, that America should continue to, to play in this conflict. So in this story, we wanted to kind of explain the context because it's, it is a little complicated how we got there, but also demonstrate the need, which, you know, uh, we, we talked to people from uh, uh, Oxfam, who is one of the only humanitarian organizations being able to work in the region. And uh, really eye-opening stats, but also some practical ways that people can help. Yeah. Uh, we also have, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we've kind of talked about this topic for a while. Like, what should we do? How should we handle it? But talking about Christians and weed, you know, I think a lot of times uh, or for years and years, you know, the church could just say, well, don't do it. It's illegal. That's bad. Well, it's not illegal in a lot of places anymore. So theologically and practically, how should Christians uh, think about weed? And we, it's a, it was a fascinating take on the topic, I thought. Yeah, it really stirred the pot with that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're not just blowing smoke either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's painful. Uh, we also There's have- a joint effort. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be blunt. I worked very hard on uh, this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also talked to Logan Browning, who was on the podcast uh, last week. Uh, she's the star of Dear White People. And we talk about how her faith uh, informs her activism. We talk about uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, four things that you can kind of embrace to break out of a spiritual funk. Um, and we have pieces by Rebecca Lyons, uh, David Platt, Levi Lusco. Uh, we have our normal mix of uh, the, we brought the drop back. If you remember the drop in years past, it was kind of our place to kind of highlight emerging artists that we love. Um, and we, we brought it back with issue 101. Titus Andronicus is in it, Dreamers and Leon. Um, it's an amazing mix of artists. We have selects, we have current, we have all the stuff that you like in relevant issue 101 of relevant. It's out now. Go check it out at relevantmagazine.com. Great job guys. Thank it's, you. uh, it was fun putting together a normal issue again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know these, I know this dance. Yeah. yeah. This, this one's very, this one was very high minded. It's very high. Oh no. All right. Speaking of high-minded, <laughs> stay tuned. Up next, it's our conversation with Malcolm Gladwell. I'm sorry for the way that I am. Got issues that I don't understand. So every time you ask me, baby, you are. Then I stop like a deer in the headlights. I'm scared to love you like that. So sorry for the way I am. 
listening to Gavin Haley and Ella Voss. The song is The Way I Am. Malcolm Gladwell is a best-selling author and the host of the very popular podcast, Revisionist History. In both his books and podcasts, Gladwell explores misunderstood stories and forgotten ideas that reveal bigger truths about the world. In the most recent relevant cover story, which is releasing right now, uh, he explains how an ancient concept, which was championed by Jesus himself, can actually help us solve big problems today. Uh, Jesse, you talked to Mr. Gladwell. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I, I really want to talk to him. As listeners of his podcast series know, he he's has developed a fascination with Jesuit philosophy, which is uh, like very practical theology, particularly this idea of casuistry, which is a way of examining problems by forgoing principles and instead embracing nuance. And so I wanted to start by asking him to give a biblical example of Jesus kind of putting that into action. And he brought up the, the story of the centurion, and here's how Malcolm Gladwell described it. The centurion comes to him, you know the story better than I do, but, um, you know, and says, I have a servant who is ill. Will you come to my house? And Jesus' response is, you know, I see that you're someone of faith. I don't need to come to your house. I can, you know. Um, and their, their point on this that is, think about the way Jesus responded to the centurion. He listened very closely to his story, and he focused on the centurion as a man. What he didn't do is start by saying, but wait a minute, you're not, you know, Jewish, you're not circumcised, you're not, I don't even know if you're a believer, you know, he didn't kind of start with broad general questions about the appropriateness of the request. Rather, what he did is he started with the individual, and he, um, and he descended into the particulars, that lovely Jesuitical phrase. He, he listened to that person as a person, um, listened carefully, figured out what was on his mind, and figured out what it would take for, to alleviate this man's suffering. The man was suffering because his servant was ill, right? And Jesus' focus was entirely on the particulars of this guy's situation. And they were saying that's where St. Ignatius, that's the example that St. Ignatius was pointing to of how what it means to behave in a moral manner in the world, which is don't get caught up in all these broader general questions. Your first obligation is to listen to the person that you are attempting to serve. Yeah, it's a, it's a really powerful idea that is based on that kind of simple idea that instead of uh, reacting uh, based on sort of emotional or or uh, you know principle stands, it's to actually not just listen to what someone is saying. But, you know, not just to hear what they're saying, but actually listen, what's the words behind the words, you know? And uh, so it's really keyed in on this idea of listening, which he thinks is so why Jesus was such a powerful communicator and such a, you know, influential leader because he understood listening. And here's, here's what Malcolm Gladwell said about that. All of these Jesuits I was talking to, they would come back to this idea that casuistry is about listening. That's what it's, that's fundamentally, and there's something, that is what Jesus was fundamentally, was a fantastic listener, right? I mean, he does that again and again um, with the people that he meets. And that idea of listening, I feel like, is really kind of counter to a lot of things we, we see in culture, 
because, you know, especially in kind of hot take culture where instead of like really understanding problems, people want to have these kind of quick visceral responses. But in order to really embrace this method that Malcolm Gladwell is talking about, it also requires us to uh, identify our own biases and under and listen to ourselves, understand why we think the way we do regularly. We're always challenge the ideas that we have. Uh, and and here's why he says that's such an important part of living life as a Christian. Well, you know, the, the Jesuits would say that that is that you uncover those things. That is the function of discernment of that is why we take take the time to introspect, to pray, to to sort of attend to our inner lives and to kind of scrutinize our behavior in that way. You know, there's a, there's a reason why reflection is built into religious practice, because that's the only way we discover things like that. The only way that we uncover our biases and weaknesses and failings and things. And I want to play one final clip that I felt like was really interesting and uh, this was his most unexpected answer that, you know, I wanted to ask why he feels like culture is going the other way. Instead of us becoming better listeners and more nuanced, there's more echo chambers than ever. P- society is polarized and a lot of people just are very unkind to each other. Uh, you, you know, I think you, you, you see this bore out on social media a lot. And I wondered what his uh, what he, you know, theorized about what was causing this polarized culture. Uh, I'll play this final clip. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's just under two minutes, but it's really interesting what he has to say. If you can play this one, Chandler. I always wonder whether what we're seeing is the consequences of the, of a retreat from religiosity and spirituality in our society that you pay a price. So you have a, what we had for Centuries and centuries, we had at the core of our society a set of ideas, of religious ideas, which emphasized things like uh, humility, of uh, emphasized things like, you know, respect for uh, your fellow man, emphasized things like, you know, I could go on. We could make a list of kind of religious virtues. If in the space of two generations, you remove the centrality of that set of ideas, you're going to pay a price. There's going to be a consequence. Well, if you don't have a, the reinforcement of religious practice saying that you have a moral obligation to take care of the poor and the suffering or to remind you that you need to be humble in the eyes of God or, you know, I could go on. Like, you take that out of society, society changes. And maybe people become a lot less respectful of others or people become a lot less cautious and humble in putting forth their own opinions or, you know, there's, I don't, I, don't, I, I, I can't help but think that at least part of it is a consequence of this very dramatic and sudden removal of the centrality of, of faith in, in contemporary society. Yeah. I, that, that, I, that was really unexpected, I think, because I think a lot of people see, um, you know, a lot of kind of liberally minded people and particularly intellectuals will see a retreat from religious tradition as like a positive thing for society. Like, you know, uh, coming up with new understandings of how the world works that isn't based on these this centuries old, you know, power institution. But what I love what he says there that no, 
it's having the opposite effect. It's making us less kind. It's making us less respectful. You know, if you don't have an institution at the center of your life that says remain humble before God, it's going to take a toll on society. And that's what I felt like that was a fascinating and unexpected observation by him. That was Malcolm Gladwell. Make sure to check out more of this conversation and the cover story in the new issue of Relevant. The Relevant Podcast is brought to you by the Wheaton College Graduate School. With more than 20 master's, doctoral, and certificate programs, the Wheaton College Graduate School is preparing servant scholars to engage the world as humanitarian responders, therapists, theologians, biblical scholars, Christian camp leaders, and more. Find out how the Wheaton College Graduate School's flexible or residential programs will inspire, challenge, and equip you at wheaton.edu forward slash relevant. You're listening to Frankie Cosmos. The song is So Blue. All right, it's time for your feedback. Uh, Last week, we asked you (laughs) <laughs> we got to talk about grandparents' houses, uh, grandma's houses in particular, and and certain things that every grandmother's house had. Uh, and we asked you for the question of the week, what are the weirdest things in your grandparents' house? You hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, and you posted on the podcast episode page at RelevantMagazine.com. Here are a few of our favorites. <laughs> this is a great list. There's a lot. Jessica had a twofer. There was a ton. Uh, She had grandma had an armoire full of wigs, even though she wasn't bald. (laughs) Um, My uncles had to choose which one she'd wear when she was buried. The other grandma had a baby doll in a high chair in her dining room that had her hair made from her own head. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I do feel like I do feel like dolls, random, like fancy dolls Dolls, sitting in chairs. Yeah. Yeah. Dolls right. sitting in it, chairs. It's a grandmother's house thing. Yeah. This is like, this is crazy. This is this is like a Russian doll of weird things. So Whitney said the most awkward thing at my grandparents' house is Turner Burn tracks. So I assume some sort of like Jack Chick tracks, strong KJV only, in the bathroom next to prescription testosterone cream accompanied by a hand painted wall decoration of an elderly couple in a bathtub together. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Um, I really, I really liked. Oh, I lost it. Oh, I really liked Ashley's where she said, "My Alabama grandma has a microwave from the '80s with flowers on it that she uses instead of the new one that came with her house." I love the idea that there's a microwave like in the cabinet as it should be, and then there's the flowery '80s one on the counter because she trusts it. I get it. My, my parents had an '80s. They just got rid of it like two years ago, but it was an '80s microwave. I think they got. I think they might have got it when they got married. Uh, uh-huh. I think it was like a wedding gift. You would stand by that and you would feel the radiation coming off. Hitting you <laughs> like, wind. like, you know, it's zapping you. Like you feel like you should be wearing a lead vest. Hannah said, my grandma had a little sign she created that she keeps above the TV, the handmade sign typed out in an old English font. 
on the TV that said, would Jesus watch this TV program with me? And she said it's haunted her from her childhood. <laughs> that's a good, oh, that's yeah, a good shame. shame. That's yeah. a lot of shame to carry with you. Uh, Jesus wouldn't watch TV. Uh, <laughs> so Garrett says, my grandma to this day has her fridge covered with pictures of all the grandkids. And yeah. she also has pictures of random families I've never met. When I asked her who they were, she said they came in the picture frame she bought and it was too cute to get rid of. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's great. So she put it on the that's fridge. Really that's, a good person. that's great. Oliver said his grandmother has a full size cast iron merry-go-round horse sitting in her living room. Why? Mm, that sounds creepy. <laughs> you even get creepy. That? Ryan like said, uh, my grandma's house is filled with glass chickens. She doesn't live <gasps> on a farm, and I don't remember a chicken ever being near her property. I'm not sure where the fascination originated. Many of them are covered dishes, thankfully with no nuts in them. So, chickens. I I like Carly's grandmother. Not only is she frugal, but she's really doing her part for the environment. Well, kind of, I guess. She always kept plastic silverware, like, you know, the disposable kind for big family gatherings and would always wash and reuse them the next time. Hey, oh, that's yeah. good. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I got I to gotta give it up for... I did not know this. I want to hear more about this. Emily says, the weirdest thing in my grandma Clark's house, the ashes of her dog, Lady. That's already <gasps> pretty weird. But then we go, fun fact, she was later illegally buried with these ashes. Her urn and Lady's urn share a grave together. Gross. What, what, does Uncle Sam really have a say over what you decide to take with you? <laughs> Even there, <laughs> does he still get his sticky fingers into? Can you just let her sleep? And no wonder she. No wonder there are ghosts everywhere. They're not even allowed to. They're not even allowed to rest in peace because the government's trying to take their dogs away from their ghost dogs away from them. Kara said, uh, my wonderful grandma had stacks and stacks oh. and stacks of old newspapers in her cellar because she planned one day to complete the crossword puzzles inside them. Uh, she said these were next to a bazillion empty country crock tubs. So uh, Kara, grandma might be a hoarder. I'm just saying. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a tinderbox. Sounds like a fire waiting hat. Sounds like definitely a fire hazard. Old dried up newspapers. Uh, JJ's grandmother's had a taxid. His grandmother's house had a taxidermy squirrel. My uncle supposedly shot accidentally when he was six and got very upset when it fell out of the tree and he realized it was dead. Now it sits in the hall to torture him every time he visits. <laughs> what a weirdo! What a weird grandma! I'm sorry, I like that's it. weird. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a lot more where that came from. Go check out our uh, Twitter feed. Uh, <laughs> they're great. Uh, okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. All right. Well, earlier in the show, we ha- we went to Sunday school and I read first Samuel. Yeah, I don't know that we've three. ever read scripture like that. That was sweet. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. It's powerful. <laughs> we got to talk about biblical ghost stories. Well, for this week's question of the week, we want to know your ghost stories. Now, we're not talking about like seance stuff, like, like, but just, you know, the creaking door thing mm-hmm. when you stayed at the, you know, Something you can't explain. Bed and breakfast on the Civil War battlefield sort of thing, you know. Uh-huh. The yeah. little the little girl in her and her Elizabethan smock that you my see in the hallway at night. My sister texted me yesterday with a story <laughs> okay. like this because she's staying alone at my parents' new house. And when she woke up this yesterday morning, there was a drawer open and an apple on the ground. And she was like, <laughs> uh, is our parents' ha- new house haunted? And me and my other sister were like, yes. So we're What's looking up? for that level story. Why was the drawer open? Why is there an apple on the ground? Is it? Is it a the new house? Ghost. Like new construction? No. 
Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That, that you want to hear a creepy one? This happened to me when I was in college. Cameron, do you remember? I think it's torn down now. I did it. I did a dive on it, deep dive on it on the internet one day. The Camelot Hotel in Tulsa. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was this old abandoned hotel that its heyday was like in the '60s. Like Elvis stayed there. It got really run down, and they just abandoned it. And so it's this massive, spooky, old abandoned hotel. And we broke in one time. And it, the lobby is like a massive atrium where you could tell they had like parties back in the day. And then it just surrounded with uh, like the balconies of rooms all the way up. So so like if you were to go out the door of your room, like an embassy suites, basically. Yeah. yeah. OK. Uh, but 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 it's an old, you know, weird looking hotel called uh, Camelot. Right. No, right. I we, So we start walking around. Music starts playing from one of the rooms up above. And we just got the heck out of there. I'm not saying it was the ghost of Elvis, but I don't know. I don't know for Haunted. certain. So Haunted. I ran. All right. I ran. Well, hit us up at Relevant Podcast, uh, or you can post your longer ones on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Well, many thanks to the episode's sponsor, uh, David Platt's new book, Something Needs to Change. Uh, make sure to check it out. It releases today. You can get it everywhere books are sold. Also, thanks to Malcolm Gladwell for joining us. His new book, Talking with Strangers, is also out now. And make sure to check out the cover story with him and all the other great content in issue 101 of Relevant. It's available at newsstands nationwide. Uh, subscribers, your copies are on your way to you, and you can check it out. Uh, you can view the issue at relevantmagazine.com. If you want to subscribe, there's a great deal going on online as well. Okay, well, on that note, we will wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. And I'm Annie F. Downs. I'm Samuel. What do you bring me here for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Samuel. Ooh. All right. We'll see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Who you going to call? for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe thing how does this work i don't even know what a button is you kids you're for me uh. relevant podcast network